Meanwhile, in the JLI role-playing module from Mayfair Games, entitled When a Stranger Calls. Copyright 1987. And a game like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. (laughs) Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Welcome to episode 13 of DCRPG, the Hero Points Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Game Master Siskoid. And I'm the irredeemable player, uh, I mean Shag. And uh, in addition to this being an episode of Hero Points, this is also an episode of the Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. Specifically, this is another of our Meanwhile episodes. And during these Meanwhile episodes, we take a break from the usual numbered issues to provide a chance to look at the JLI outside of the ongoing monthly series. And even outside of comics in this case. Yeah, right. Uh, Yeah, because we're covering an adventure module for five to seven characters generated Mm -hmm. using 1,000 to 4,000 Hero Points. Uh, and starring Justice League International. It's called When a Stranger Calls. This is an adventure for first edition DC Heroes, released in 1987, like Shag said. And I guess there are four JLI-related products in the Mayfair DC Heroes line. We've already done two of them. So there was a Justice League sourcebook. We did an episode uh, back in January 2017. And folks, if you if you missed that, go uh, listen to it. It's, it was on the Hero Points podcast, which is part of the Let's Roll podcast feed. So you go to Let's Roll, you'll find it. Uh, January 2017, Justice League sourcebook. It was great. And then what was super fun is we did a live role-playing session of another JLI module. It was called Exposed. And we actually role-played that back in June 2020. Uh, it was also on the Hero Points feed. Uh, again, June 2020. Go find that. It is a riot. We're going to be talking more about that on the back end of this episode. Oh, it was so funny. Uh, and not because Cisco or I are funny, but because the other people involved were amazing. Chris and yeah. uh, David Gallagher, especially funny. And Boss! Oh yeah, Boss. And then, uh, of course, the one we're discussing today is the third one that we're going to be covering. And then there's one more, one more in our future. There's a Justice League International module called Come On Down, which was during the Justice League America and Justice League Europe era. And uh, we'll have to talk about that one someday, too. What do you think? 2023. (laughs) We got to do it before you finish the, the JLI show. I know, I know, which is a lot closer than it seems, which is sort of crazy. I've been uh, spending most of my adult life doing this. So. <laughs> so for those of you who are new to, let's say, Hero Points, because you listen to the JLI show, or those that have come back because you like Hero Points and you love Mayfair's uh, RPG, the, the idea of these episodes where Siskoid and I talk about this, or Siskoid himself, whatever, is to celebrate the DC Heroes role-playing game. It's here, again, as Hero Points. It's on the Let's Roll feed. It's not a dead show. It just comes out infrequently. But the mission statement of Hero Points is it's all about nostalgia right? With a little bit of technical stuff. We're not going to get bogged down in the game mechanics. So if you're a JLI fan and you know nothing about role-playing, don't worry. I think you're going to be able to get through this just fine. Or if you're a lapsed gamer and you don't want to think about the game mechanics, I think also this will work for you. 
Now, fair warning, if you are a player and you think you might actually play this particular adventure someday, you're going to have to turn the podcast off now. Sorry, yeah, you're that kid who had to leave the party because his mom came and picked him up, but you don't want to learn all the spoilers because we're going to give them all away. (laughs) Duly warned. (laughs) So let's look at this thing. When a Stranger Calls by Ray Winninger. Right away, this says JLI because you've got Captain Adam, Martian Manhunter, Dr. Fate... Right on the cover, Just League International, the logo. Dr. Fate is studying some magic runes in ruins. <laughs> you know, there's an overgrown jungle kind of thing. And you got Captain Adam kind of reacting to some sort of roots, animated roots, grabbing his leg. What do you feel about this, uh, this cover? I look at it from two different ways. First off, I'm always, always happy to see Kevin McGuire drawing the Justice League, right? I mean, that's a total win exactly. right there. And this is a chance for you to roleplay your favorite Justice League International characters. So, yes, please. Okay, exciting. And then the other side of it. So, this cover, to me, it looks like a, it's like a random interstitial panel from a comic. I mean, artistically, it's drawn well, but it's just not that engaging. I mean, no kid is going to see this and be like, ooh, 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 I got to buy that. Captain Adam's getting attacked by a root. <laughs> and a small one. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and Doctor Strange, I mean Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate is sitting there thinking and he's actually got his finger like someone would put to their you know, when they play with their mustache or their upper lip when they're thinking, except he's touching his helmet, right? You know, it's and there's just a broken wall behind him. It, anyway, the point is it's it's not exciting. And to sort of prove my point, like imagine this on the cover of a comic book, that would have never happened. This would have never made it as a cover to a JLI comic. It's just not engaging enough. So that's the disappointing thing. I mean, what the real sales point, though, is it's a role-playing module, and you can play the JLI. So that alone is enough to make people buy it, I think. it's uh, And again, it's nice to see Kevin McGuire. Yeah, Carl Kiesel is on inks. you got Bob LaRose on oh, color. Yeah. So it's it's a good-looking piece of art. It's just It just feels like it's not even a panel. It's part of a panel. Yeah. And and it's not like it's sourced from a comic. There's a lot of sourced panels in this, but this is original art. So you'd think there'd be a little more action. I don't know. Well, the focus is on investigation in the the book itself, you know? So... Certainly the first half. Yeah. Yeah, So this is part of that concept, I guess. I'm also wondering if it's called When a Stranger Calls. Why not put the Phantom Stranger on there? I know, right? I mean, that's what the name of the book is. I mean, that's what it's all about, is him, because he shows up, like, in the second uh, encounter. So, yeah, that's a little weird that he didn't make the cover. Sad. (laughs) Always a bridesmaid, (laughs) the Phantom Stranger. (laughs) All right, so let's open it up. The credits page. So, I I love this. All right, so first off, this is a 1987 release, folks. So, uh, this is still the first edition of DC Heroes role-playing game. And if, if that's meaningless to you, that's okay. Just know that they released multiple editions and kept changing the game and making it better. So, at this point, this is the 20th release, the 20th thing they came out with since the game came out first in 85. So it's still very early in the system. In fact, at this point, uh, they're still adding things to the game in here. They're like kind of tuck it in the back. They're like, oh, by the way, here's some new powers and here's some new other stuff. Um, like they add sorcery in this one. It's kind of interesting. You, you mentioned uh, Ray Winninger is the uh, author of this thing. Uh, one of the things I want to point out is there's a credit here to special design assistance to Keith Giffen and Andy Helfer. That's so cool. I love it when they get the actual comic creators to contribute. Because um, I don't know if you remember, like the, the Watchmen annuals that came out from Mayfair, they actually credit Alan Moore as contributing material. I mean, that is the only time Alan Moore ever did any more Watchmen content outside of the original miniseries was in a Mayfair Games role And that's module. why there have never been any other Watchmen stories. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> just uh, just Mayfair Games and that trade paperback, <laughs> folks. So uh, here, again, it's you know, Keith Giffen and Andy Helfer you know, contributing. So I love that. 
And then, and this is just stupid, because this is just me. You know, there's the small print, right? There's like, they list every character in this book, every single DC property as part of like a, a really long trademark copyright scrawl. I mean, it's really, it's, it's teeny mm-hmm. tiny. And as a kid, man, I sat here, okay, even as an adult, and would just read every freaking thing, just like to make sure I knew what every character was, or I just I just found it fascinating, or just to see a character listed. It's, it's stupid. Like, Secret Origins number 10 is trademarked. Really? That issue specifically has to be trademarked? Okay. Yeah, Phantom Stranger Origins. I'm just saying it's weird that they trademarked the term Secret Origins number 10. Specifically. Yeah, I know. It, it's odd. Right. <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's look at the adventure itself then. So, spoiler warning, still in effect. They say it right up front. It is set before the discovery of Maxwell Lord's secrets in JLI number 12. Okay? So that's around where it should be. But we'll talk about whether or not it actually fits the era that it's supposed to as we get to the characters later. Uh, So we're not going to go through the module encounter by encounter, but rather we'll tell it like a story. In fact, I'm going to read directly from the book's synopsis. Are you ready for this? I am so excited to hear you read from a 30-year-old book. First, let me <laughs> recap a little bit about the, the, the GM's introduction. Let's not you know, go too deep into that. But before the adventure, we get the diary of Ethan Warren, ward tech at Bayside Community Hospital. It's the story of a mutant, quote-unquote, Dark Knight Returns is, is part of this continuity. They're seeding that future? Yeah, well, I think so, because at this point, you know, Dark Knight Returns had been published a year before this was re- released, right? And ever since then, folks have been using uh, whatever they can as a sort of prequel to give hints about, like, what could happen. And using that term mutant specifically, yeah, it feels that way. So there is this mutant descended from the Homo Magi who ends up summoning Wotan and his followers who take over the mental hospital. Wotan's plan is to take over Earth's dimension by assembling an artifact known as the Vengeance Gate and releasing an army of demons upon it. Rumors of what it, what's been going on at Bayside have brought Batman to investigate, and there the Bat has been captured and possessed by Wrath and Ghast of the Demons 3, the Demons 2 at this point, and through <laughs> him, they'll get the JLI to find the pieces of the Vengeance Gate for Wotan. All right? That's that's before anything else happens. So just to be clear, first of all, Bayside is like the poor man's Arkham Asylum. It's the, where the overflow goes. Yeah, exactly. And as a player, they don't know Batman is being controlled by the demons, too. So that's kind of one of the big hints. They don't find that out till the end. That's one of the huge reveals. And it would be a very short adventure if they knew up front. Right. (laughs) Uh, So the adventure begins on August 16th, one day after Wotan has implanted the spirit of wrath and ghast within the mind of the Batman. In the introductory encounter, the secretly enslaved Batman directs the other Justice League members in a cleanup of the JLI embassy. Now, in Encounter 1, the Phantom Stranger, an ally of the old Justice League, arrive and delivers a cryptic warning. Danger seems centered around a ruined ancient Mayan temple. The Batman excuses himself from the investigations, but asks the team to report in and keep him up to date on their progress. Suspicious. In Encounter 2, the heroes arrive at the ruined temple, where they find signs of a mysterious struggle. While at the site, the heroes can discern that an object of great importance was recently taken from its temple resting place. Also, Dr. Fate recognizes the mystical runes that adorn the structure as similar to those found in the Book of the Lictors, an ancient mystical tome in the Cambridge University Library. In Encounter 4, the heroes race to Cambridge to consult the Book of Lictors 
if the heroes reported back to the Batman after Encounter 3 and told him about the book, the Batman will inform Wotan of their destination and the demon will destroy the book. In Encounter 5, the heroes can speak with the scholar who was translating the book and look at his notes, which contains a small portion of the text fully translated. From the book, the heroes can learn the story of the Vengeance Gate, realize that the ancient Mayan temple must have contained the first segment, and they must find the remaining pieces before their mysterious adversary. Another clue found in the book is that Ruby Bat, a powerful mystical oracle and briefly an ally of the Lords of Order, was one of the principal figures involved in the demon's defeat many millennia ago. In Encounter 6, Dr. Fate can take the heroes to Ruby Bat's mystic dimension so they can question him about the gate. The oracle presents the heroes with three riddles, the answers to which are the resting places of the remaining gate segments. And so it goes as a sort of, sort of a video game. <laughs> what happens next, Shag? So after deciphering the riddles, the heroes can proceed to the three resting places of the segments. Now this is encounters 8 through 13. Uh, there they can recover or destroy the pieces. The demons may be arriving before, after, or simultaneously to the heroes at the gate piece sites. Any information the group radios back to the Batman speeds up his detection process and the demons work. If the heroes locate any of the gate pieces before Wotan's forces and radio their position and actions back to the Batman, Wotan will send some of his followers to ambush the group and grab the gate segments. That'd be an encounter 14. Because Batman is bad! So uh, the heroes can realize that the villains they are encountering all have one thing in common. They are supposed to be currently incarcerated at Bayside Community Hospital. The heroes can check out Bayside in Encounter 15. Now, depending on whether or not Wotan has all the gate pieces when the heroes arrive at Bayside, they may have to stop him from constructing the gate and releasing his demonic armies. That's in Encounter 16. Uh, in any case, the group has to battle and imprison the evil sorcerer and his followers. While at Bayside, the heroes can discover that the Batman is the holding vessel for Roth and Gast. Now, in Encounter 17, the heroes must confront the Cape Crusader uh, using Dr. Fate's magic and enter the very mind of the Batman to battle the demons Wotan installed there and break their enchantments. Woof! Now, that is quite a lot to get done in one adventure. Uh, yeah, two sessions, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my later questions. Good to know. Thanks. <laughs> I did it in two, uh, two sessions. So I played this one. We'll talk about it. But before we get into the particulars of the story, let's talk about the heroes that are offered here, the villains that are offered here, there are stats, there are stories being told about these characters to set us in the right mood. Let's look at those stats. Okay, so this is this is kind of exciting because this would be the first time that many of the Justice League International characters ever had their stats published. Oh, that's true. So uh, this JLI module also, in and of itself, is kind of an interesting time capsule for us JLI fans. Because based on the information presented in the module, including these stats, it looks like this book would have been published around JLI number 12, which is on the shelves in December 1987, or maybe issue number 13, which would have been January uh, 88. So uh, either way, right at the end of 87, early 88. And yet, as I read this, I really suspect that much of this was actually written around the time issue 8 and 9 were out. Back when, you know, Giffen was still sort of planning what might happen in the next 12 issues, but or, I mean, to issue 12, but didn't have it all solidified. Because some of the character stuff in here, and I'll touch on this, uh, is either wrong or just never panned out. Like, maybe there are ideas Giffen had, but never put into play. 
So, like, for example, some of the things that are there. So, like, there's hints of the blue and the gold friendship, right? And that developed in issue eight of JLI. Then there's touches of information about them going international and Captain Adam joining the team, which is issue seven. Then you get Dr. Fate, who is Eric and Linda Strauss. Uh, now, they appeared in JLI number 10, but they appeared in DC Comics prior to that. And you get Dimitri as part of the team as Rocket Red, and he didn't join until issue 11. So, clearly, there's, there's enough knowledge here through 11 but there's some specifics. Did you get a chance to look through the stats? Yeah, uh, there are some weird ones. I agree. But you're the expert, so what catches your eye? In here, like they talk about Captain Adam. They say that he was spying on the JLI, past tense. Well, that's actually not correct, because at this point he still is, and he will be for quite a while. Uh, one of the weirder ones is about Guy Gardner. Because, you know, Guy Gardner got bonked on the head in issue number five, right? And he changed his personality completely. He became this, like, really sweet, sappy green uh, Guy Gardner till issue 19. So in this period, he's that sweet, sappy Guy Gardner. And they mention that, but they say that weird things are happening, and he's switching back and forth in personalities between the sappy version and the mean version, which... That's completely incorrect. That never happens unless I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting something. I mean, un unless you're saying that within the adventure, he'd bonk his head all the time. <laughs> but no, in the comics, he was like, you know, when he changed personality, it's not until he meets Lobo that he switches back. I think they came up with a mechanic. Yeah, to... I like it, though. It's not on point as far as the comics go, but I like the idea that you might be able to play the a-hole Guy Gardner and then the sweet sappy one and, you know, go back and forth based on, on the rules. That, that would be a fun challenge for and humor driven, you know, for the for the player. Yeah. So you, you roll two dice and if you get 12 or higher, uh, that's when it, it, it switches, which is sort of interesting. And then what else? OK, so it mentions in here that Black Canary is mentoring Booster Gold. What? I know. Now, that would have been a cool idea. You know, and maybe there's an issue that I'm forgetting where, like, they have a training session and she's beating him up or something. But, there, I mean, that's there's no ongoing mentoring going on, that's for sure. That's incorrect. The only mentoring I remember or that seems to be inspired here is the cover where, where she's, <laughs> she's mentoring, quote-unquote, Booster and Beetle. That would be issue eight, moving day. I don't think that counts. I don't think so either. And then another uh, item mentioned here, too, is while unofficial... United Nations business, they say the members wear special UN patches, which allow them to exercise their special Justice League privileges. That never happens either. Which is, again, this is why it leads me to believe that they went to went to uh, Andy Helfer and Keith Giffen around the time 8 and 9 were on the shelves and said, hey, can you look over these stats, tell us anything to change? And they kind of added in stuff they knew was changing, like adding Dimitri. And then they would have said, well, this is what we're going to be rolling in. But they just never came to fruition. That's my take on that. There's another weird piece, but it's it's weirder for the game itself. In the same paragraphs where it talks about the patch, they also mention a high-level connection to Superman that the team shares. And the, so they can call on Superman at any time. Hmm. Was that something you'd want your players to invoke? Not me. <laughs> I think that may be a situation where, again, since this is the first time a lot of these characters have been published, and certainly the, the JLI status has been published in the game, that maybe it's more a broad sort of thing. Not that you'd be allowed to call in Superman in this story, but maybe in another adventure you could. Right. If it's just like supposed to be a mini source book at the right. front of the... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. Other things that caught my eye, Blue Beetle, they say he's by no means irresponsible. So I'm wondering, <laughs> how does this fit your educated theory as to whether he or Booster is the instigator of the shenanigans. Oh, okay. Right? Well, yeah, so what we've sort of determined in going through the JLI comics, and I, I want to give a lot of credit to Tim uh, Price because he pointed this out to me first, uh, Beetle 
is usually the instigator. Like, is, regardless that Booster's the one with the bad reputation, most of the time it's Beetle's harebrained scheme, actually, believe it or not. And then Booster just takes it too far. So, yeah, um, you know, a, again, about the issue, the time of issue eight, maybe Beetle wasn't that irresponsible, but certainly give it a, give it a couple of years and he is absolutely a troublemaker. So at this point, they're thinking it's not Beetle's fault. Or they don't, they're, they're not really into the shenanigans yet. Yeah, well, after reading issue eight, they should have known they were, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Booster himself, they do a thing here that I don't, don't think quite works, but uh, it's the first ever crossover subplot in the game. <laughs> so it's a, it's a crossover, not with the comics, but between two game modules. <laughs> right, so there, there is a game module called All That Glitters, which is a Booster Gold-driven adventure, where Booster is sort of has to sell this board game. You can play the board game too, I think. Can't yeah, you? I, I made it. I, I, I created <laughs> of one. Of course you did. Yeah, of, of course. course you did. <laughs> so, so I've played. I've played both modules, but with different groups. I, I, I never crossed them over. <laughs> no, I never did that. <laughs> but I don't know. It's like it forces booster goals. Like sometimes booster goal can choose to set out an encounter because he's dealing with the board game stuff. But okay, it just means the player is sitting out. Uh, well, or it could be a situation that we used to find ourselves in where a lot of players would be playing two characters. Oh, okay. I've done that in most of my campaigns over the years. It's had players take, play two characters at a time so that if one ever becomes incapacitated, they're not just bored. You know, even in my current game I'm doing, uh, most of the time the players are playing two characters. So Right. You're playing uh, Marvel superheroes right now? Shh. Don't tell. Oh. This is a DC podcast. Well, you know. Yes. Yes. We're doing the Marvel superheroes role-playing game right now, and we're playing our own heroes. And in most cases, I've got a situation where they're playing their primary character and then like a, a teenage – not a sidekick necessarily, but like almost like New Mutants kind of character that they've got uh, that they built as well. And they're they're both on the mission together. Okay. Okay. But still, I, I just feel like if this is going to be a subplot, if this is going to be actually crossing over, you need an encounter that actually fits all that glitters. Right. In yeah, here. you got you got to give the player something to do if you're going to take that off the table. Now, this is where the, the the nerdy continuity cop in me comes out. So, like throughout the module, it talks about how Dirk Davis is trying to contact Booster to come do all this stuff. Well, that that doesn't quite work because this is published after Millennium. Oh no! And Dirk has been revealed to be working with the Manhunters, and he's out, man. So it, Dirk should not have been the one to contact Booster at this point. You know, maybe Trixie, but she's still out of his life too, pretty much once the series ended. But I don't know. Either way, Dirk's bad news, man. All that glitters seems to be set before Millennium. Yeah. So that these two sort of interact is not right. All that glitters is really during the era where he has an agent and it's all yep. pre-JLI. So they don't really fit together. It's a cute idea. Like I said, I don't think it works. And my other note here is that Dr. Fate, with all due respect to our listener, Eric with an H, Eric Strauss's name is misspelled Eric with an H. Here. What? Really? Yeah. I did not catch that. Wow. Okay. So, again, this is an example of early stuff. So, I think, specifically to Dr. Fate, and this might explain the H, like the, the mistake here, I think this module was written with the Kent Nelson classic Dr. Fate in mind. Oh, totally. And they just retrofit Eric and Linda. Because the description of Dr. Fate's personality, his actions, what he does, I'm going to mention a specific thing later, they don't fit with the Eric and Linda Dr. Fate at all. Now, you could make an argument that the Doctor, the Eric and Linda Doctor Fate wasn't established enough yet because they had the four issue miniseries. Then this is published, and this is before the ongoing Doctor Fate series, so it does kind of live in that middle. But either way, this is this is clearly a Kent Nelson thing. Oh yeah, just the way he's like knowledgeable, the way they play him, the way he's he's necessary to the game. Yeah, Wotan being the villain. I mean, it it all points to Kent Nelson. I'm gonna get a little role playing nerdy for a second. All right, here. Well, I'll go all get right. a drink. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, says you, uh, Mr. Nerd. So what I did, <laughs> I did look at these stats, since these were the first ones ever published for first edition, and I did pull out the JLI source book, which came out a couple years later, three years later, to be exact, which is second edition, and I was just curious, did they change the stats up any? And I did notice there's there's quite a few changes. Uh, most of it's just because of the change from first edition to second edition. They did, they did lower a lot of abilities when they did that, but just some that I thought might be worth mentioning that doesn't get too crunchy here. Uh, for example, Black Canary. They dropped her dexterity by four ranks, which is quite a bit, really. And with her fighting proudness, I thought that was really surprising that they, they made her less dexterous. Now, I, I haven't checked the benchmarks or anything to see where that drops her to, but uh, I don't know. That kind of shocked me. When you say four ranks, it's like, that's what, 16-fold? Yeah, yeah, the exponential it yeah, goes fast. Yeah. Then Martian Manhunter, he's lost the power of dispersal, or which is phasing, completely. And I had to think about that. Like, did he have, I guess he had phasing in pre-crisis and maybe not post-crisis? Is that what's going on? I don't know. I have memories of him phasing, but, you know, I'm thinking jail Detroit. That's before, yeah. so I don't know. I can't remember any instance where he phased in Justice League uh, International. So, yeah, maybe they dropped the power in post-crisis. Hmm. Dr. Fate 2, because again, Eric and Linda, his stats are, com or their stats, I should say, are completely different in second edition. It's understandable. Um, Guy Gardner. So this one's kind of funny. They dropped his dexterity a little bit, but they dropped his intelligence by three ranks, which is sort of fitting, sort of funny, sort of mean. I don't know. I, I found it funny that they made him dumber in second edition. Especially if he's, you know, he's got like brain damage. Right. Right. Uh, and then the last two, just th these are, I think, instances where the character just evolved, and so they evolved the powers. But like Booster Gold, he lost all his business skills that he had previously, which is sort of understandable. But then his force field grew exponentially massive from 5 to 15, which is huge. Uh, and I guess that's just trying to show the character developed or, or what, it, what his force field was used for later. Uh, and then Captain Adam, his strength jumped all the way from a 12 to a 22, which is wild. I mean, 12 strong already. 22 is like rivaling Superman. But I guess by the time you get to Justice League Europe, he was pretty much almost as, you know, almost as strong as Superman. So I guess that's sort of an evolution of the character. I don't think people knew exactly what his capacity was early on. And then we just, we find out as, as he fights new foes, we figure it out. Once Bart Sears starts drawing him, those muscles come in. <laughs> exactly. One of the things I didn't mention with uh, Dr. Fate you know, when I say he's knowledgeable or whatever, there is a weird prop included in this. Yeah, there is. It's called the Clue Keeper. It's a mystical Clue Keeper that you give to the Dr. Fate player. Or your sorcerer if you're playing with your own heroes. You kind of need somebody who has, like, this sort of ability to make this work at all. I mean, you have to cut it up, and it's an origami project. <laughs> I mean, that, that's my note here. So I, I need you to explain this thing, because <laughs> okay. I looked at it. I looked at the instructions, and I'm lost. And uh, origami's where I was going to go, too. It's like, I, I feel like I failed an origami class somewhere here. And uh, so, it, it, I don't know. Can you explain this thing to people and why it's beneficial? <laughs> well, I mean, what it looks like, really, when it's all folded up, it looks like a square that you can pull out the, the edges. You've seen this in schoolyards, mm. you know? It's like, uh, like people put their fingers in it, and it sort of becomes like a duck's beak or something, and they, they do the, whatever, a nursery rhyme, and then yeah, they open. open, close, open, close, open, close. Right, and then if whatever you choose, if somebody puts their finger in or something, and then you open it up, you, you know, unfold it up, and it's got, I don't know, the name of your future husband, you know, so, <laughs> something like that. So uh, in this case, what they've done is that they've put these symbols, these mystical symbols, astrological, I guess there's a comet, there's a Saturn, there's a star, there's a moon. The module tells you uh, at different points, okay, here Dr. Fade should look at the interior of the moon section. And there are actually eight pieces, you know, eight texts. 
because later in the adventure, then you, you sort of unfold it out and then you get more information under a certain thing. This is a way to deliver the information that Dr. Fate just knows. Like, of course, you could just say, well, Dr. Fate, you know that the Book mm -hmm. of Delictors is at Cambridge University. But instead of doing that, uh, you have Dr. Fate's player have a little doodad in his hands and do a little spell or do a little thought, <laughs> rub his helmet <laughs> by doing the motions, opening it up. The information is revealed. So I like to think of it as the helmet of Naboo is telling Eric and Linda this. Mm, you know, so instead okay. of the game master just doing all the exposition, the player gets to find out in another way and then deliver it to the, the, the rest of the table in their own way, in their own voice, rather than have just this like this info dump coming from the game master all the time. But it is one of the problems with this adventure. It requires one of the characters to somehow know things that keep the adventure going. And I got to tell you, folks, if you find this module and it's already been used or something, and the Clue Keeper is not in it, or you have a PDF copy and the Clue Keeper is not in it, you will have a lot of trouble making this work because the information is not anywhere else in the module. Yeah, it's not repeated anywhere else, and it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll put some pictures of it in the uh, image gallery. Uh, so you'll see what it looks like, but buyer beware. You know, just get in touch with me, folks. I'll scan you a copy. I gotta ask because you ran this module. I did. did. The players like the clue keeper because, like, to me, it does just seem like a cute delivery mechanism for a scheduled info dump. Like, okay, it's time to open the comet. Like, I'm I'm of two minds. Like you said, I, I don't know any other way to do an info dump and make it interesting. But at the same time, I don't know. Did did the players like it? From my notes, and I'll, we'll talk about how I actually know what. People thought, because it is 20 years ago, you know. <laughs> but I do have notes about this. Half the players liked it, and half the players didn't like it. And I think mm. the half that didn't like it, their comments, which I have kept in record, the problem wasn't the game so much as some of the other players. Oh, so I okay. think it put too much attention on whoever. It wasn't Dr. Fate. It was our own heroes. But mm -hmm. the sorcerer character had so much attention given to him, and the gadget, and... Uh, and I know this was a player that played it big and uh, and used it like he was doing like these magic spells and whatnot uh, that they felt sidelined. And gotcha. that's why they didn't like this adventure much. But I mean, I have very few notes about this. The, the, the Clue Keeper itself, I'm, it's a gimmick. Yeah. It's barely anything. But I do think it's an intriguing way to do the info dump stuff. Right. But it's it's not a big notch above. Yeah, I mean, it's really no different than you just having like four different sheets of paper ready to hand the magician character at certain times. Right. But yeah, but, it's, but you're right. It, it's a cutesy way for them to do it. So, okay, fair enough. Points for trying. Let's move along to the NPCs. Here we've got stats for Batman, of course, possessed Batman. <laughs> also the Phantom Stranger and various Ruby Bot. Phantom Stranger, it's fun. They don't give him stats. They give him 600 hero points. <laughs> say his initiative is non-applicable and that is it there is no try that's not a bad way to handle it yeah. i mean there's times when you have a character who's never going to be a player character and you're just like all right you know what the gm can do what he wants with him exactly he just shows up he gives you the mission he leaves that's pretty much the phantom stranger in a nutshell he's a dick yeah and if you need <laughs> him to be a deus ex machina at the end he just shows up and fixes everything because your player's screwed up <laughs> i mean he can do anything right yep um and i i, I had questions about ruby bat it was just like this monolith, spirit, Lord of Order type creature. Essentially that 
like the name. I think it was chosen because the word bat is in it and it's a Batman kind of story. Mm, I don't know okay. because I checked it up. It, it, it is Arabic, but it's Ar- Arabic for I patted. Like I patted a dog or something? Right. So it's nonsense. <laughs> it's nonsense. It sounds exotic. Uh, at first, I even thought, is this in the comics? Is this like in a dead man story or something? No, it's nothing. So I just wondered and uh, my research didn't come up with anything Really interesting. This is the sound of me rolling my eyes as hard as I can mm. at that. Um, <laughs> so a, a quick thing. So Batman in here, the NPC, we mentioned him, right? He gets sidelined through the whole adventure. He is He's taken off the table and he's possessed by bad guys. Now, fast forward to today. I cannot envision a world where DC would produce a product where Batman gets sidelined for the whole thing, is possessed by bad guys. I just can't envision that. He has to be an NPC. So in any case, he's not being... Nobody can play him. Right. Which is fine. This reminds me of Superman's role in the Doomsday Experiment. Is it Experiment? Which is another of the modules where Superman is kind of in it. He meets your own heroes, kind of. And then he gets Mm -hmm. captured by Brainiac. And then the climax isn't beating Brainiac because your heroes are not equipped. It's freeing Superman from the trap so that he can beat Brainiac. Oh, that's clever. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like, I think for the JLI, it's a little weird that Batman is there, but he's not there and he doesn't want to play. And like the GM is keeping him from himself or something. It's, It's odd. Yeah. But for your own heroes, I think this would work great because it's like, oh, we got... Batman guest stars? And of course we can't play Batman because we're playing our (laughs) own heroes. Like I said, I had some notes from my players. One of the things that they liked was being able to interact with Batman. Uh, Okay. I mean, there is something to that. When you you get your players a chance to interact with a huge name, it is pretty exciting for them. Right. Yeah. And of course you get get to go into Batman's mind, etc. So, you know, as per that last encounter. So there's a thrill to that, I think. That's a good uh, encounter. It really is. So, yeah. Then we get villains... Wotan. We talked about how Keith Giffen and Andy Helfer were consulted, so they gave a lot of information on JLI. Mm -hmm. Notice that J.M. DiMatteis did not get consulted, which uh, the only reason I mention that as being relevant is because he is currently, at this point, probably working on the Doctor Fate comic book series, and he's about to bring Wotan back. So he might have had some input for them on how to use Wotan or what to say about Wotan because he was about to use him in his comic. Like this story would basically contradict the comics to come. Yeah, it would. But I mean, they they could always finesse it and just, you know, he probably would have had something to do with like the setting of where they found Wotan and then how they left Wotan at the end, I would imagine. And Wrath and Gast, I had a question up front. I was like, wait, where's Abnagazer? Uh, and the module does answer that Dr. Fate killed him in Swamp Thing number 50, the very famous American Gothic, which is a detail I'd forgotten. I only knew this because Rob Kelly, who's my podcasting partner, refers back to that moment all the time <laughs> when when uh, when they killed him. All the time. How he just loved how Dr. Fate immolated the guy. It's when he lost his innocence. Rob, not Dr. Fate. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, okay. Uh, so there are a few supervillains at Bayside, you know, the overflow from uh, Arkham. And uh, that includes Psycho Pirate. Uh, there's an original creation called Femme Fatale. And oh my, I mean, I was surprised to see Major Disaster here because he's going to have a long history with the JLI. Right. I mean, that was shocking to see him referenced here because, you know, there's no way at this point they thought about him because he's at least a year away before he's going to appear in the JLI comic. And then, yeah, obviously he sticks around quite a bit. So that was shocking to see. I will freely admit the Femme Fatale thing totally threw me. I like, 
I just assumed, I'm like, man, I guess I have forgotten everything about who's who because I don't remember this character at all. And then I read your notes about her being original. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Woof. They always do that. I mean, they often do that where there's going to be like this tiny original villain in there somewhere in a, in a module. So uh, we could should collect them all and give them to David Gallagher so he puts them on his Twitter. <laughs> Since that's one of his interests. But, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Femme Fatale is like, she's got, you know, darkness, poison touch, ultra vision. She's kind of a, she was experimented on by Nazi scientists. You know, classic stuff. It happens. It happens in comics all the time. So then there's a, uh, well, there's a section on demons and in the DC universe and a handout of the fragment from the Book of the Lictors that you're going to play with. I thought the demon section was pretty good. It's actually like a, a nice primer. Uh, on demons in the DCU, mm-hmm. you know, because there's no Wikipedia back then. So it, it makes a pretty good primer. The, the only thing I really wanted to call out on it was, like, they blame Krona of Oa for all the evil in the universe. Like, they say that when he looked, you know, in the famous Crisis on Infinite Earth thing, when he looks back in time and he, you know, it's split Quard in the Antimatter universe and all that, they're saying that also unleashed evil on the universe. So they're blaming him for all evil. I don't remember that. Is that is that right? Am I just mistaken? I feel like there's, like, a Green Lantern story that says this. Oh, like a Pandora's box kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah the concept that they're going for. And they also go out of their way to refer to where the demons exist is uh, the Nether dimensions. They're very specific about that several times. The Nether dimensions, which is kind of cute because you know in the eighties, if you're playing role playing games and you get anywhere near hell, you're gonna you know you're gonna get all the uppity PTA moms get all freaked out. So uh, <laughs> completely avoid saying hell by saying Nether dimensions. So little yes. Johnny didn't get in trouble at school. Not at all the same thing. And then, yeah, you get your um, uh, new powers, as you mentioned before. I mean, it's interesting that, to me, it's always shocking that Claws was not, you know, like Wolverine, right. was not part of the original game. And it's, 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 you know, it shows up in a lot of modules as, oops, we forgot this one. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, at this point, you know, we're, we're, again, 20 modules in, or 20 items in, and it's uh, two years since the game came out. And they're realizing that they need to tweak the first edition. They're, they're screaming towards second edition, which is a vast improvement. But, um, you know, with with all that said, and, and everything they stick in here, I gotta say, regardless of whether it's missing stuff, I love that first edition Powers and Skills book, that separate book it came with. Like, the layout's great, the design, just the design of the book, like the interior or stock art choices. It's a really slick piece. I really like it. The game has to grow, and you think yeah. of new powers, and even Marvel Universe, the Marvel Superheroes game, did the mm-hmm. same thing. They forgot growth and shrinking, uh, yeah. and they had to put it in in Dragon Magazine, in an yeah. article, you know, it's it was a lot clunkier than this. <laughs> well, you know, eventually Marvel publishes the Ultimate Powers book, which is supposed to have every powers. And then they had to keep releasing addendums to that as well. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're always going to think up new powers, or yep. the comics are going to do it. In here, they add sorcery, yep. right? I love magic, and I hate magic. Like, I am totally, like, I love seeing Dr. Fate in a comic. I want to read what he does. But when you put it in a game setting, Ugh. if you if you don't create sorcery in a very particular way, it, it becomes a nightmare. Now, I don't want to talk necessarily about these sorcery rules. I don't want to get that kind of question. But I am just curious how you like to handle a player character that has magic. And I'll tell you right now, and I don't know if he's, I doubt he's listening, but I have a player who has magic right now in our Marvel campaign. And uh, there's certain ways I like to handle it and certain ways I don't. How do you like to handle magic? <laughs> I'd rather not have it at all. I've <laughs> always had sorcerers in the role-playing groups. It's, it's something mm-hmm. – there's always someone who's drawn to that. Yep. So um, – but it costs so much. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have more starter characters. 
So you can't get sorcery. So let's just make sure you get the spells that you like, Magic Blast and Weather Control or whatever it is. More like Zatanna in the Justice League as opposed to Zatanna, you know, as a stage magician. Very set limits. Sorcery, you can do anything. Exactly. And that can be problematic. It's just because there's so much calculations to do usually in these systems, you know, like, okay, you got to calculate to to know what you have to roll against. Well, how hard is the power you're trying to emulate? Yeah, like the the way they some games will build sorcery where they say, okay, you can you could do anything. You can access any power. And again, you got to figure out the math and all that stuff. And it just it creates a situation where the player has a get out of jail free card. I mean, all they got to do is think of the power to fix that situation. Uh, it's like the quiz from uh, Doom Patrol or whatever. And they can solve any situation. So the way I like to do magic, and the way we're doing it in the Marvel game, is our sorcerer character, he has very defined powers. Sort of like what you were talking about with Zatanna. Very, very specifically defined powers that that's what he can do. You know, he, he can't, you know, conjure a, an apple out of nothing. Uh, he has to do certain specific things. And, you know, it's like five or six powers, and that's what he can use as magic. And they're all magical, so they are tied to magic. But it's just that's how they work. And that's how I prefer to do magic, because it's you got to put boundaries around it, at least in a role-playing game. Otherwise, you got a, a way overpowered character. I think I would make exceptions. Like, if you want an apple, you can just, like, conjure an apple. Because that's not going to... That's not a role. That's just like you're in a social situation and doing a little magic trick. When you're in a stressful, like in a fight, suddenly you can only do like the spells you've learned, basically, because Mm. it's too complicated. That's a clever way to tackle it. Now, one of the powers my player does have is matter rearranging. So it is sort of like conjuring, whereas he takes, you know, one object and turn it into something else. But uh, either way, so it's been working really well, though, the, the system we've, we followed. This also has some optional rules, like a faster way to calculate the cost of Omni Gadgets. And that would evolve into the second edition rules. Like, there's notes on teleportation and stunning and bracing. A lot of this would be incorporated into the second edition. So we were sort of seeing the building blocks of when eventually they have to, they have to reboot the game a little bit. They've got all these modules where they've already got all these house rules in mm-hmm. there, you know, that they want to adapt. So... And we're in the adventure, aren't we? Page Woo-hoo! 17, finally. <laughs> I love the setup. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, you've got JLI Embassy shenanigans. Uh, you get to play super-powered basketball <laughs> as a way to shirk off responsibility. Like, Batman wants you to clean, but it's like, it's all clean. You're encouraging the players to goof off and play basketball, and you've got powers. So I love this kind of stuff. Like, the Avengers playing their annual baseball game, East versus West. I used to love that. So here you get a, a chance to do it. Have you ever played a, or run a, like a crazy sports adventure? I have never run a crazy sports adventure. We, we've done uh, gambling, role playing before, sure. Where you know you're, you're not actually using cards, you're using dice to make determinations, but never done sports. And uh, this is this basketball setup's pretty fun. I think I actually want to try it now. Yeah, I, it's a good way to just like ease the players in. And I feel like if you're playing the JLI, you're probably playing the JLI for the first time. You know, mm. so let's try our powers. How do they work? How does the Green Lantern ring work? How does acrobatics work? How does because I'm going to use them in the basketball game. So there's no stakes. I can fail, but I'm learning how to play these powers, maybe because I, I once did like a full sports game where it's like aliens versus athletes. There was this insane <laughs> sci-fi variant of baseball. Space Jam. I guess, you know, anyway, it's one of my favorite RPG memories because it's so out left field, you know, <laughs> pun intended. So, uh, um, well, it wasn't intended, and then I decided I intended it anyways. This has a, a mini game, let's say, 
of a little bit of basketball and they've even like made a grid where you know how hard each throw is going to be it's pretty clever that's clever the difficulties is clever and by the way we should mention and this is the first time anybody would have got a map of the JLI embassy yeah, this is a map of the basement level. It's the first time we've ever seen anything like that. It's pretty simple. The basketball court really dominates. <laughs> right. And, you know, we've never seen a basketball court in the comics, so it doesn't make any sense, but it's fun. But I got to ask the computer bank, what's up with that shape? Like, what is going on with that? <laughs> They're always doing that for computer banks because I think we're seeing the top level and there's like v different pieces of equipment, but they're all like drawn as one shape. In reality, it's like little modules. This is just bizarre. There's all kinds of weird points and stuff jutting out and like little hollows and stuff. Like, I've never seen a computer that looked like that. Well, if you saw it in real life, it'd be like this Kirby contraption. I guess so. I guess so. It wasn't in the comic either. No, you're, right, right. You're right. But it, in all this stuff, though, it's fair to say that this introductory encounter is absolutely the most like bwahaha yeah. encounter of the whole. This is the thing that feels most like the JLI right here. Unless you're playing the characters for comedy and arguably... The way they talk about Beetle and Guy and Booster, it, it sort of supports that. But really, the adventure is pretty straight to the point of seriousness and apocalypse possible, you know. Mm -hmm. So this is the goofy encounter. I feel like this is the real JLI bit. Because when the Phantom Stranger shows up, it's like you're in Justice League of America. You know, it's, it's retro. Yeah. It's retro. Yeah, it does feel that way, yeah. What do you think of this, like having an NPC whose function is to give out missions? Well, and this is one of the things that is a little frustrating for me on the first half of this module, is this module is really, really on rails. And what that means from a role-playing perspective, it means like you go to step A, to step B, step C, step D, and there's really no way to deviate from that, right? And now it changes at the end, but like for the first two-thirds of this thing, you, you pretty much have to follow every particular path. And if for any reason you don't follow the path that's laid out before you to gather these gate pieces, you pretty much mess up the whole module. You know, you miss really critical things. So having the info dump where the Phantom Stranger shows up, and there's some fun banter there, so there's a little bit of that, but having him just dump on them, here is your next mission, and you have to go step by step by step, it's a, a little frustrating for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think also the fact that Dr. Fate is going to be getting these clues, yep. which might as well be the Phantom Stranger speaking in his head, and then act on those, you know, it's like, imagine you don't have the Clue Keeper, and you're sort of on your own trying to figure out what to do next, it's impossible. Because yeah. the thing you must do next is predicated on Dr. Fate thinking or remembering this particular piece of information. Which also doesn't fit with Eric and Linda, by the way, because when they're Dr. Fate, they don't remember the stuff that Kent did years ago. So it's just, it's more reinforcing the point that clearly this was written for the Kent Nelson version of Dr. Fate. And your own heroes... Somehow your sorcerer has all these information as well. So that may or may not play with the way you use him normally, you know? So yeah. uh, it could be kind of, kind of be finicky. So did you notice like a, a, a lack of fighty fight fight, you know, in the first like two thirds of the module? Yeah, it's very much, you know, investigation at first. There's something, I mean, there, you know, like guardian trees and random encounters and zombies and there's something called a slugoth at one point, which must be a shogoth because it's a Lovecraftian monster. So there's like these little, I don't know if they're threat, if I, maybe, you know, Booster and Beetle might have problems with it, but you know, the module strongly encourages to play, to, to use Martian Manhunter, just having him on the team and Captain Adam, they're going to make short work of these beasts. Yeah. And Guy Gardner as well. True, exactly. So, so it depends which characters you're 
players want to play. I don't know, normally they might gravitate towards some of the power hitters, at least have one on the team. And you know that Marshman Hunter and Dr. Fate are going to be on here, probably. So, eesh. My players don't love the fights. Oh, okay. So, it's not a big problem if it's investigation. Well, investigation, maybe it's a little boring. They like social interaction, perhaps, most of all. Exactly. I was going to say, yeah, investigation, if it's mixed with role-playing... Yes. It's always a hit. It's always a hit. Whereas fights, well, they can drag on. They can be, you know, they can be very lopsided like these ones. Except in superhero games, they might like it more because they're, you know, it's more than just I swing a sword at it. There are many permutations possible. You can put the role playing into the action. But I agree. It's like there's not much threat. Then the threat level goes up significantly. And by the time you get to Wotan... It's like, whoa, he's, you know, he's on another level completely. Mm -hmm. During this investigation phase, there is this um, activity book, activity, uh, the maze, <laughs> the maze to get the ruby bat. It really uh. silly because it's like, you're supposed to follow the ribbon. You're supposed to tell the game master, turn right, turn left. But the ribbon is unbroken and doesn't split off. So you always get to the middle. You, you'd have to be, you know, like, not know your left from your right to, to really screw it up. So... Not great. <laughs> yeah, it, it it felt like a the kind of maze a preschooler would do, you know, like just to just to make sure the kid could stay in the lines kind of thing. It's it it was a little it caught me by surprise. Not something I would expect in a role playing. Game. And I changed it completely when I played. So ah, smart. So, yeah, I I cut it out completely. I, I just added a spell, like in the book, in the fragment of the book of the lictors. I recreated that because I had to translate everything into French for this group. Oh, oh, oh right? wow. So, okay. so all of these riddles to make them rhyme. And so I had to change all of that in, into French. So I'm a translator by, by, you know, by trade so much. So it's fine. But I also recreated a document where some of the parts are garbled. And in that, in the document, I didn't just put information about the uh, vengeance gate. I put in a spell that replaces the maze. So they have to okay. say this Latin phrase while standing on one foot and doing Vulcan hand signals. And it's kind of <laughs> – so they've got to kind of follow a recipe and not screw up. And for every screw up, it costs them time with which Wotan can advance his plans. Uh, okay. Whereas in the game itself, uh, you follow the ribbon and you can't you, – you're not going to make many mistakes. And so the stakes aren't very high. I mean I applaud them for trying to put something else in there that wasn't rolling dice and wasn't punching something. So I mean that's that's great they tried. It just unfortunately didn't come across that No. Way. So what do you think of the riddles? Cuz you know, riddles in games generally can <sighs> be a problem. What a nightmare riddles are. Now, I'm not speaking towards these specifically, uh, but riddles in general in a role-playing game are just hard. Like, I've done riddles in our role-playing games before as the Game Master, and it, it pretty much always comes down to two situations. And, and it's one or the other. Either situation one, which is the riddles are way too easy, and they're immediately solvable. You know, boom, it's over. Or number two... It's impossible for them to solve. And they either get like, they never like, get anywhere close or, or they overthink it, which role players do all the time. And you eventually have to like sort of take pity on them and say, okay, roll your detective skill. Oh, you did good. Okay. And you like sort of hand feed them enough hints until you pretty much given away the answer. And the bottom line there is that, again, writing riddles is really hard. And I'm not faulting the players necessarily. It's it's more the person writing the riddle. It's I, I don't know how people do it and, and find a balanced way to make it just hard enough. I think these are mostly too easy, but they also provide, you know, they know that sometimes players get really stuck. Yeah. Uh, they're just not on the same page as you are. And, you know, it just happens. In this case, 
They give you a hint chart. So if you give them hints, they're losing time and Wotan is advancing his plan. So there, there is a consequence. And if all else fails, roll intelligence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is not very satisfying. But not everybody is a Bilbo. You know, you can't always know the answer to every riddle. It is hard. What else is that? Well, Batman as the mole, uh, you're losing time. You know, whatever you give information to Batman, it's a mistake because Wotan's advancing his plans. It's got like a little time chart that pushes this idea that villains are then going to show up before you do or in the at the same time you do or maybe they just, or it creates complications anyway. We're getting a little bit off that railroad maybe? A little bit. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, I Well, you're still going to the same places, though. All, all it's doing is changing when you have the fight. But I really like that timing chart because it it's a cool way to structure and plan for variations in the gameplay. You know, like, you know, again, whether you're going to beat the bad guys there, fight them, or come after, whatever. I, I, I dig that. I thought that was a really cool mechanic. And there's also, a, like, a little encounter here with a uh, fortune teller. Madam Sosostris. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like this sort of stuff because when I ran it, uh, I worked out what cards, like, there, there is a result, you know? So, like, she reads the cards and says, I see death in your future and all that, you know? She gives, like, real hints to what's going to happen next. And uh, I sort of uh, made sense of it. Like, what cards would this actually be? They'd be uh, Chariot, Empress, and Death. So, so she's reading tarot cards. Tarot cards, yeah. yeah. So since I have that expertise... I actually did the reading. I faked it. You know, I, I put the right cards on top and faked it. <laughs> and it is the movie version of Tarot reading because the death card doesn't actually mean death, you know. Right. Uh, but in a comic book, yes, it might. So I did that kind of stuff. And if the players wanted their own readings, then and then I tried to fit in the results into the adventure later. I have no, okay. no examples of what I did on this particular occasion, but I've done this in the past. I've also had a player who read tea leaves. So we had oh. tea, not, not not this adventure, but, you know, generally. I had actual tea and we brewed before the games. And then when he read tea leaves, he actually did the actual reading. And there's a little book that, that told you what the shapes might mean or something. And then it would actually happen in the adventure. Just make sure it does. Somebody saw a grim. It's hard to do premonitions in role-playing games. Yes. You know, in a way. So you can't know what's going to happen. So what you can do is vaguely suggest what might happen. And then because there was a reading, you make it happen. Well, in a game that's on rails, uh, you know, sometimes you can know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> that's that's also true. Uh, <laughs> and then there's all these little fights with, um, you know, at this point, you're getting the Vengeance Gate pieces. And this is the video game portion of it. Um, yeah. And fighting... You know, each little group of Bayside inmates who are possessed by demons and have powers. But then you're, you're fighting these guys plus Major Disaster, plus Femme Fatale, plus Psycho Pirate. So you get a little bit more uh, super villain action. But I, I feel like this is a little bit repetitive. It's a little repetitive, but they're also, I think, intentionally designed to be a little bit lower level so that you could beat them fairly quickly. Because they send one super villain and two, like, generic possessed inmates at you. You know, so it's just three powered people, only one of which might be a threat against a five-person JLI. So they're going to take, you know, unless you just brought, I don't know, Black Canary and Blue Beetle or something, you're going to take them out pretty quick. So I think that's, it, it gives you your fighty fight fight without bogging it down too much. You don't want it, that to be like too long because exactly. you want to get to the climax. Exactly. You got to get to the boss. Exactly. The boss level. And when you do get there, I feel like, I don't know, they get really loosey-goosey compared to the... <laughs> 
<laughs> there are a lot wow. of options depending on your choices and your successes and failures. Like, obviously, if they succeed, everything's fine. But, you know, you can, they, they talk about including Phantom Stranger as, as a Deus Ex Machina, uh, the need to create a hell on earth type adventure. For even stronger heroes, if it all goes bad, you know. I got, I got to read about that. So here's the quote. I find this hilarious. It says, if the heroes lose, well, the world goes to pot. <laughs> it actually says that. Uh, create a new adventure where more powerful heroes like Superman or Swamp Thing can try and put everything back in order. I just, I laughed out loud at reading that. Where They just straight up say, yeah, you blew it. <laughs> and, and now, Game Master, you should be uh, like design an adventure that is like epic level. It's like, Jesus, I bought this module exactly so I wouldn't have to do that kind of work. <laughs> That's true. Good point. <laughs> you no, know? it does really open up. Like, again, I said the adventure's on rails quite a bit until this point, And then it's like, they pretty much said the adventure can go any any one of these eighteen directions, you know, and, and it's kind of cool that they took time to lay all that out. I'm not criticizing it. Uh, I, I like that they did that, but yeah, boy, it just opened up all of a sudden. There are actually two climaxes, you know. First, we got to deal with Wotan, and then with Batman. So, yeah, what do you think of the Wotan bit? So it's a good confrontation, but. <laughs> He has this hella long monologue, right? I checked it out. It's six paragraphs long, right? And I, in every role-playing game I've been in, especially superheroes, like my players would not have given him time to read six paragraphs. They would have punched him in the face in this around the second sentence. They've been like, okay, here's the big bad. Take him down, you know? Yeah, you're really testing the player's patience. Like even players who say, I understand the narrativist impulse. Like, okay, let the, the villain explain his plan. And then we'll act and just like we'll know like the story's richer for it. But six paragraphs. Uh, right. Uh, so this is what, according to my notes, I gave him the gloating power. <laughs> is that a thing or you made it no, up? No, Manga Khan gets, it's in the JLI uh, source book. Oh my gosh. Manga Khan okay. has gloating and they explain that power. It's like a new power in the JLI source book. When the villain does a monologue and he has the gloating power, basically... You can't do anything until he finishes. Oh, that's hilarious. So uh, so I, I guess that's the same power which allows you to give a whole speech where you're falling off the side of a building before you plummet to your death and you're able to say like 18 word balloons worth of text. It's probably the same power. I, I think General <laughs> Glory maybe has it in yes, some form. Yes, That's who I was thinking of. <laughs> in some form. So then you, you beat... Wotan, sure. And then uh, then you get to go inside Batman's mind, right? Uh, inside his traumatic flashbacks. I don't know. Your heroes probably don't know Batman's origin. They find fair, out that's, here. That's fair. The yeah. players do, but the characters maybe don't. So you get to fight Joe Chill. You get the window crashing bat. Uh, the Reaper from Batman Year Two. That really surprised me to see the Reaper in there. Yeah. Actually, in my notes, I replaced him with the Joker because I, I felt like the Reaper was too deep a cut at that point. Yeah, in, 80, in 87, it makes perfect sense. Sure. In 2000-whatever, 15 years later, I, I, said, well, I don't think my players know who this guy is. And when we, I talked to, to David Gallagher about another DCH module on this show, Dream Machine, and mm -hmm. uh, it involved going into the Joker's mind. Oh, yeah. So maybe don't play them back-to-back. -back. Yeah, yeah. 
Why is DCH always going into people's minds? It's 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 a it's a new territory for superheroes, so it's a good idea, you know. So I, I really like the Batman flashback stuff. Like it's written, the descriptions in the book are really engaging. Like I really enjoyed reading that chapter. I'm not sure how well it plays. I'd be curious how your players did with that. But it reads really cool. But like I just didn't know how. Like you know, okay, in one scene you're just fighting a giant bat. Like I don't know how that would role play out. It's what it is. But the fact that you're inside the origin story, I think that worked. It's not just. That Batman is your guest star. Mm-hmm. There's like a, an environment that's the guest star. Okay. You're inside the history of Batman. And there's a thrill to that. For the players, absolutely. For the players. Because yeah. they know they know what, what this is, you know. I felt that that worked well. And it justifies using Batman as an NPC. I'll, I got to tell a quick story. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We, we, the, the game we just did the other day, uh, my group. And it, it's Marvel. So it, it, it's not even compare one to one. But it's just that whole idea of the thrill the players get, right? From from interacting with, a, you know, a legendary status character. So we're doing this one adventure, and we're, we're going along quite a far, and we're, what got to this last week was they came face-to-face with Magneto. And I'm not talking like, you know, your silly 60s Magneto. I'm talking like super scary, threatening, can rip worlds apart kind of Magneto. And, like, I have never seen my players get so, like, nervous all of a sudden, like, and just totally get reverential, like, okay, whatever you want, Magneto, all good. You know, everyone else, they want to attack and beat up, right? But no, here they're just like totally kind of scooching back. And like, it's interesting to watch how excited the players get, not as the characters, but as the players themselves, when they do get to interact with something legendary like that. It was super fun to see them like that. I, I hope they had a good time. They seem to. So that is fun to bring those elements in. I do the same. Okay, we, we get bug-eyed bandit or whatever, you know, like... Yep, exactly. And, and sometimes you got to pull out a, a who's who and show them that the character really exists. Like, oh, look, yep. I'm just showing you the costume. But they're going, oh, okay, it's part of real DC history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you drop, you know, a character they know. Yeah. That they know is dangerous. Or that they... A friendly character who they know is powerful or well-known, you know. It, it changes the dynamic. Suddenly they feel like we're, we're small fry damn, we just walked into Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know? <laughs> right, right. And as long as you do it sparingly, it's super effective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Batman here in this case, I tell you, there was a thrill. There was a thrill because they left notes about it. Ah, huh? okay. All right. So let's talk about how we use it or how to use it if we haven't. Like, I played it. You haven't played it? I have not. So, yeah, I'm very curious. Like, you know, as you're going through this, you know, how would you rate the module as it was written, you know, versus how much you had to tweak? You know, was it a success? And and you said it took two game sessions because that interests me, too, because there's, there's enough in here that it could take a while. Yeah, I'm kind of a quick session planner, I guess, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I like games to be one or two sessions, if I can help it. The reason I have so many notes on this is that it was part of uh, an initiative I call Iron GM. So Mm -hmm. that it's like Iron Chef. Okay. But you do several adventures in different genres. Like I'm always the the game master, but you could do it several game masters, you know, if people like switch positions. So I do several adventures with different genres with three imposed ingredients. It is like Iron Chef. <laughs> yeah. So this was this was sort of the this was the final because there's only two genres. Like I do like okay, we're, there are four genres, three genres, two genres. You know, and this mm-hmm. was like two genres. The ingredients were cheating at sports. Okay, the basketball game. A temple. And oh, okay. Yep, a famous yep. guest star. That'd be Batman. And in this case, it was Batman. Okay. Like, like right. I do not choose these ingredients. The players choose the ingredients, and then I just go. Oh, I have an adventure that has all three of these, like this. Like this was a prefab. I didn't have to do it. Well, obviously I modified some things, but I didn't have to. I just went, those three ingredients are in here. Perfect. 
snatch it up. This is going to be genre superheroes. And we use our own heroes, and there were like five players. This was a big one. And in my folder, I still have that redrawn basketball court, all those handouts. <laughs> I still have that. And because of Iron GM, I have the player reactions because there were evaluation forms to mm-hmm. see which game won, you know, among the, the ones that we did. Whichever genre wins moves up mm-hmm. to the next one. And in this case, it lost to uh, a sort of a luchadors versus Aztec gods action comedy scenario. <laughs> okay. I, I can't imagine why the improv players enjoyed a luchador uh, comedy uh, over this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, well, the wrestling. And there's a, a number of wrestling fans around the table. And yeah. and I let them go at it. I have no clue. I'm just going, okay, if you say so. Um, <laughs> so, But this was either a four out of five or a two out of five. Like I said, the players uh, okay. were split. Well, there was one player who had super speed. And Ooh. I think he was stealing everyone's thunder multiple moves per turn. Yeah. That kind of thing. So that didn't sit well with some of the people. I mean, five around the table, There's that's a lot of people to cater to. Mm-hmm. And if one character is doing all the action and the Dr. Fate character is doing all the, the investigation and knowledge stuff, you're probably sitting there going, you know, why did I come today? How much does Blue Beetle really get to use his BB gun in this thing? Exactly. They were all thrilled to see Batman, though. So that was like the important thing about this. The memorable thing about this was Batman was in it. For those who didn't like it, they thought the plot was a little complicated to understand. Mm -hmm. uh, That the sorcerer had all the clues. Too little reasoning it out for players. You know, it's like, here's the information. Now go to the next step. Like you said, it's on on rails. And players felt that. And I, I can't disagree with them. I do want to say, because it, it, I'm realizing now we're probably sounding horribly critical, but I think it's still a solidly written adventure. I think you can still have a lot of fun with it, but there are certain things of uh, of its time. In 1987, a lot more modules were on rails. You know, They were designed to help inexperienced game masters guide a bunch of 12-year-olds or something through how to play it. So, And I liked it. I mean, I liked rereading it now mm-hmm. for this. There's a lot of great ideas. I think there's some yeah. things that don't quite work, but... At the very least, it tells you, try to be more clever. Like, yeah. Yeah, sure, the maze doesn't work, but like, try to be more clever about how this sort of thing is done. Uh, and if you, if you don't agree with the way they've done it, it might still inspire, which it did for me, inspire you to do it some other way. So as a learning tool, which I think modules are, learning uh, how to run a game, how to play a game, how encounters should work. And if you don't have a module for a game, sometimes you don't know where to go with it. Exactly. So... It has to be inspirational. And I think when a stranger calls, has that inspiration. It is an unusual adventure, supernatural, etc. So I guess that is a question we can ask is like, does the JLI do supernatural too well? Like, is this a good fit for the JLI? Yeah, that's a good question because the JLI don't tend to do supernatural threats. So if we think about this at the time it was written, right? So the, the again, we're, we're assuming this was written around the time of issue eight or nine or so. They had just finished issues five, six, and seven, which was the JLI dealing with the supernatural, specifically the gray man. So it is sort of in keeping with that feeling of the stories of issues five, six, and seven. So that matches. However, that's almost the only time they ever come against Supernatural, right? Because you get, uh, they fight the Gray Man, those issues, and then they fight him again in the Teasdale Imperative. Other than that, the JLI never go up against Supernatural. And in both of those Supernatural cases, the JLI did not save the day. It was the timely uh, deus machina of the Lords of Order and Chaos, actually, that saved the day in both of those scenarios. So I don't know that the JLI are a good choice for Supernatural. This is what it is. To me, this is a Dr. Fate adventure 
It's Dr. Fate and Friends. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Right? Because he's crucial. It's his villain. Yeah. He has all the information. It's mystical. But he's a solo hero. You know, if you don't want it to be a solo adventure, Dr. Fate and Friends. So if you, if you were to use somebody else, let's say, let's say you came at this, and I think you said you used their own characters yeah. right, for this? Okay. So if you were looking for established characters, who, who would you pick for something like this? Gee, I don't know. You know, established characters, you still need it to be in the right range, but you can always play it up and down. Yeah, scale it. Yeah. yeah. So it would have to be a sort of supernatural team. I mean, today you might say Justice League Dark. Yeah, yeah. I would lean probably more towards like a shadow pack. I think their power level is, you know, it's below the Justice League, but they've still got some strengths and there's some real critical thinkers on there. Uh, and it's got the whole supernatural angle, you know? So I, I would probably throw like a shadow pack kind of team. And you could it. play Blue Devil. Uh, it might have been leaning towards that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you play in this? Gosh, see, I... I actually can't stand playing established characters. Um, I always, always insist on playing original characters because I just, I can never put myself in the mindset of a superhero properly. I never feel like I could. So that's why I felt like when we did our adventure, I struggled so much playing Firestorm. I just can't put my brain in there. So I, I can't pick. I, I would lean towards an original character. I think crucial is Dr. Fate in this. And then whatever mix, you know, you can probably mm -hmm. make it work. The push for Martian Manhunter, and I thought... Yeah, they, they're pushing for Martian Manhunter because it's his, his telepathy that sends you into Batman's mind. But no, isn't it done with magic? So, yeah. So I'm like, okay, so why do we need Martian Manhunter? You, you know, you could also play this thing with Dr. Fate as an NPC who you, you just, you know, say there's some kind of magical whammy on him uh, because of the whole situation that's preventing him from taking part in the battles. But he can go along with you to be sort of your oracle. And provide you with information as you go, like okay, Doctor Fate, where do we go next? And maybe you, maybe you have to feed him something, not not physically, but like, you know, give him some sort of magical energy or information so that he can give you that. So you're earning that next information from Doctor Fate or something. So you could you could try that too. If I were to do that, I would just have the helm of Naboo. Oh, and that's it talks, even better. You know, yeah, so they have yeah. to carry it around. That's a great idea. I think yeah. that'd be like that'd have some humor to it, which would bring it again in line with JLI from later. Yeah. Good call. Well done, sir. As a recap for the module, it's a lot of fun. It's a great... You know, think about being back in 1987, right? As a kid who's reading the JLI comic, suddenly you can see the numbers. You can see what your characters, how they look on paper, and you can get a chance to play them. That would be so exciting. Because, you know, again, you, you're, you, you do this module or you use it as a framework for a story, and then you go on to the next one. And you have them fight, I don't know, Starro, or you have them fight something else and you just you have so much fun with this and i would have been so exciting and i think for comic book historians even armchair ones like us mm -hmm. it's interesting to see okay this is where maybe according to the notes this is where the justice league might be going and then mm. they turn left instead of right in the actual series but we're seeing like the crumbs of Plans that never came to fruition. Which makes a lot of sense, too, because Giffen and, and Demetrius always swore they never planned ahead. So having just brief ideas that they're going to roll in later would make a lot of sense, because they, uh, they they always said they never knew what they were going to do the next month. Well, that well, kind of proves it. <laughs> yeah, it fits. It fits. <laughs> All right. We'll take a short promo break. When we come back, <laughs> feedback from our last episode. Two years ago. <laughs> In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water Podcast. 
In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, the Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're back. Our last episode was way back in June of 2020. It was a different world. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and it was a real play session that you, you mentioned at the top of the show using the JLI Adventure Exposed. With myself as GM, we had Shag as Firestorm, Chris Franklin as various Batman <laughs> voices, Baslevac as Hawkman, and David Gallagher as the Golden Pharaoh. This is actually our first opportunity to look at the feedback for that landmark episode. I have to say real quick, because I did not leave feedback myself because I participated in it, but right. that thing was hilarious. You were amazing crafting how to run it virtually, how to get people engaged, how to run this through it quickly. You did a fantastic job. All the players are so funny. Like, I, And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about everyone else. I've listened to the thing a couple times now, just like mowing the lawn or whatever, and I find myself laughing out loud at just everyone. They're, everyone has just brought their A game. It is a complete... You know what? I will quote our first comment from David Gallagher. He says, this was a total hoot. Yeah. And, and you know what? I just want to echo what David said. Absolutely. And I've listened to it several times as well. I think it's just that entertaining. And <laughs> I, we had a pretty good banter going. Like, I played Martin Stein in your head. Yep. I think that yep. was like kind of fun. There was a lot of comedy to be had. Yes, for sure. there was. Let's keep going. Brian Daly, uh, he says, I love the scene playing out in my mind of Hawkman struggling to walk down the stairs of a skyscraper because of the bulk of his wings <laughs> and then being paralyzed by indecision whether to continue down or walk back up to the roof <laughs> to fly down outside. Folks, this is a common occurrence in role-playing sessions. <laughs> the the back and forth, not too sure, insecure. Uh, am I doing the right thing? Am I going in the right direction? Let's go back. No, I shouldn't have gone back. I'm going back in. And especially if you split up the party, which was what happened there. Yes, it did. Other uh. people are moving and you're not. Like if the whole party is going back and forth, you can set it right, you know. But when you're losing all that time and everybody else is already in fights. <laughs> Overthinking is is the biggest enemy in a role-playing game. <laughs> Definitely. Poor boss. All right. Up next was Adam Ackerman. He goes by Santar and he says, uh, I have to say I was slightly disappointed. You didn't have one of the villains say, quote, everyone keeps mishearing us. We're not the injustice society. We're the in-justice society. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Centaurin. Appreciate that. Then we're from David A. Gutierrez who says, Listening and loving this. Chris Frank's Batman is like Adam West and Christian Bale had a baby. Uh, you know, David, there were different points where he was Adam West and different points where he was Christian Bale. He was pretty much every Batman there is during that thing, and it was hysterical. It's so good. Uh, Nick Vector says, Golden Pharaoh stole the show. 
<laughs> you must do this again. Clinton Robinson that echoes that sentiment says this needs to be a recurring thing instead of a one-off special. It's too much fun. It's also too much work, guys. <laughs> it's a lot of work. That's why we made it a Patreon bonus level. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. They heard from our buddy Mike Dynas. He says, enjoyed how each player got a chance to shine with their character, which is a great sign of a well-run RPG. Well, that's down to you, Sasquatch. So he also asks, maybe Cyclotron could join the team next. <laughs> Let's all get all the crappy superpowers figures in there. Yes, yes. That was the conceit, that everybody was... A superpowers action figure. You even made us uh, little character sheets, and weren't they the the, the figure was the picture, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Slobberknocker says Hawkman was perfect. So there's love for every character. Nobody mentions Firestorm, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I'll take that exact as it was intended. Uh, Then we heard Steve Race, who says, uh, Love this. I haven't played in or run DC Heroes for many, many years, but this episode made me really want to dig it out again. Sounded like you guys were having uh, perhaps more fun than is strictly legal. Siskoi did a great job of explaining the rules as you went through the game. Great stuff, guys. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Steve. It was a, it was a lot of fun, as we said. Rudy Gustillo says, I applaud your unique takes on each of these characters, even Firestorm, I imagine. E- each had their <laughs> it's own... It's implied. Yeah, it's implied. <laughs> each had their own opportunities to shine. Well, except maybe for Hawkman, who faced some unlucky roles. But he was sort of a befuddled jock douchebag, kind of like this team's version of Guy Gardner. Hmm. I'd love to hear other network members' interpretations of their favorite signature characters. I can't wait for my favorite, Jean Johns, the Martian Manhunter. Would that be Frank? Oh my gosh, Diablo Frank in a role-playing game would be unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, the, the next episode of this is going to be the, this Frank as Martian Manhunter, Rob the non-roleplayer as Aquaman, Max can be Plastic Man, you know, they're just so... Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of these people who don't want to play, obviously. I still want to be Blue Devil. Uh, they heard from Liz Ann Oswald. It says, y'all did a great job on this. Uh, and then Liz says, the JLI didn't almost lose to Gorilla Grodd, Icicle, or Scarecrow. No, but almost lost to the true powerhouse that is Funky Flashman. Uh, fear the power of Funky Flashman. ha. Can't wait to hear the next episode. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Paul O'Brien says, I tuned into the Hero Points podcast as research for a writing project. What is this project? Uh, mm. Because I wanted to get a feel for how the game flows in live play. This episode was everything I'd hoped for and more in that department. It was a treat to hear voices from previous episodes embrace the superhero pastiches and huge credit to Siskoid for organizing, GMing, and playing many parts. I especially enjoyed Juan Donovan and Professor Stein. See, Firestorm got some love, still just not me. Uh, Chris Franklin himself chimes in, the voice of many Batman, says, uh, or voice of the Crisis on Infinite Batman. He says, great job editing this baby together, Siskoid. And yes, that was just as much fun as it sounded. Thanks for letting me play, guys. Chris was great for a first-time role player. Oh, yeah. Uh, was he really a first time? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I want to... It's been it's been two years. I don't remember. I thought he was uh, he was nervous about it. But either way, he was fantastic. Um, then Boston Moss says, I haven't run or played a DC Megs game in ages, but plenty of other systems. This was a lot of fun. I can't say the spoof adventures are my favorites, but you guys made it very entertaining. Sorry about the Pharaoh. That character was outclassed by just about everybody. You might need some more balance when throwing what is basically a beginning character in with heavily powered, like Firestorm, or heavily skilled, like Batman, characters. Uh, Well, Boston, it had to be a comedy adventure to make sure it would be entertaining, even to the casual listener. 
And mm-hmm. character balance was not required because, first, failure is funny. <laughs> I mean, the Pharaoh was funny, even though he was, you know, outmatched. He was he was hysterical. He was amazing. And, and two, it was more about social interaction than it was combat, you know, this one. So a combat-heavy real play episode, I think, would have been boring I mean, to me. Yeah. Because yeah. it would have been too much rule talk. But that's just my opinion. But as the GM and producer, it's the only one that counts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly right. Your dice rule all. Uh, they were from Brian Linton who says, I have been looking forward to this episode since you guys first floated the idea, and it was worth the wait. Everyone did a great job with their characters. I particularly enjoyed all of the obscure comic book references that they peppered throughout the session. I guess that's one of the advantages of playing a well-established franchise's universe. Playing in such a setting comes with some constraints, but it also provides a common language and context for players already familiar with the franchise, even if they aren't familiar with the mechanics of the game itself. Yeah, having that's one of the things I love. I when when, when I do a game, even if it's design your own characters, I like to set it in an existing universe because that does so much of the heavy lifting for you. You know, they know what they're getting into. The I like how you said common language, Brian. Yeah, it gives you a common language for everyone to speak and communicate with, and it works out great. And again, you saw it play out in the adventure. Suddenly, Funky Flashman is there. So for the Mister Miracle fans, yeah. you know, it's like oh, oh, the, the, you know, I, I didn't expect this character to show up. In a JLI right. story. It's, that's that kind of stuff that you can bring because the bench is so deep with the DC Universe or the Marvel oh, Universe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts and leaving a one-time or a monthly donation. This helps us host all the content you crave, whether this show or the ones crafted by our amazing partners. And our thanks go out to these Patreon supporters uh, who were asked to be recognized on the JLI podcast or Let's Roll. So our thanks to Chris Lewis, Devin Clancy, George Van Note, John Coos, John Ross Haynes, Kevin Wetter, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Michael Crouch, Michael Zomkowski, Patrick McMullen, Roger Preeb, Rudy Costillo, Sean Ross, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, and Tim Price. Again, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Now, folks, we just read a bunch of feedback, right? But we want you to give feedback on this adventure. We want to hear your thoughts on when a stranger calls, playing JLI in the role-playing game, any memories about playing the DC Heroes role-playing game, any of that. So go out to our website and leave your comments on the show post. And since this is on two different feeds, you can go to fireandwaterpodcast.com slash points. Or you can go to fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI. And either way, there's a show post for both of them there. Leave your comments. Let us know your thoughts. And also you can, of course, find us on Facebook as Fire and Water Podcast or JLI Podcast. And on Twitter as FW Podcast or JLI Podcast. So that's going to do it for this one. But come back next month to the JLI Podcast when we're going to tackle JLA number 50 and Justice League Europe number 26. And in two months, I'll be back with another episode of the Fire and Water Podcast Network's role-playing podcast. Let's roll. Uh, probably one about Dungeons & Dragons' most interesting setting. Hmm. Hmm. Hero Points itself will return in 2023 to cover another JLI-related adventure. Woohoo! And until then, I'm Siskoid. And I'm Shag. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. And the Hero Points Podcast. Let's, Let's roll. roll. Want to make, make something, something of it? it?